middle of a series called uh, The Holiday Survival Guide. And uh, I wish I would have had a survival guide a long time ago. The holidays are tricky and it depends on your family dynamic. Holidays can be interesting, and, uh, but we know this, that the last five weeks of the year, like Thanksgiving week all the way to New Year's, we spend more time with our immediate and extended family on average than we do the entire rest of the year put together. And so it's just a really unique time of the year. And uh, if, you, if you avoided a lot of family members, this is like where you actually have to go and face the music and like go spend time with them. And, and sometimes those dynamics get interesting. Some, some of us, we come from great homes and I love going home for the holidays whenever I can. And, and um, my family's big and loud and very interesting and unique, but we always have a good time. And it doesn't mean everything's always easy, but it's always fun, I'll tell you that. And uh, ours is the loud family and uh, we like noise. And so we have a good time, but however your family looks, we're taking four weeks leading uh, just uh, all through the month of November, and we're talking about how to survive the holidays. And last week, we talked about the, the main thing. We've got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And whenever you're trying to survive, the first thing you got to do is secure shelters. First thing you got to do. And we said that love is like a shelter from the storms of life. And this holiday season, we have to start there. We have, first thing we have to do is find shelter. And so we have to have love, love, inclusive love, love that pulls people in, love that isn't based on people's behavior, love that comes from God. And we have to know God's love before we can show God's love. And so, and we talked about the good Samaritan and how to be a good neighbor. And so we went through that last week and we had a great time and I pray that that really helped you out this week. We're gonna talk, we gotta find food. You know, we gotta, I mean, we've secured shelter and we're trying to survive here. We got this holiday survival guide. So we got shelter. We know we're gonna be safe. We know we're gonna be warm. Now we gotta get some food in us. We gotta get some, uh, we gotta be able to be sustained. And so we're gonna talk about today, we're gonna talk about money. We're gonna talk about scavenging. We're gonna talk about gathering today. And this is the thing, and it always gets tense. Anytime in church where you talk about money, the air kind of leaves the room. So please do me a favor, loosen up a little bit, and it's gonna be all right. We're gonna have some fun today. We're gonna talk about some things that culture tells us. We're gonna talk about some truths from God's word. I'm gonna move fast through this. The Bible has so much to say about money. Uh, don't worry, we're not gonna pick up a special offering at the end of today's sermon, okay? So I just wanna put your mind at ease. That's not what today is. Uh, actually, I really hope that this helps you. I really, really do. In preparing for this message all week, I was just so inspired once again, just, I mean, because money really does reflect who we are, doesn't it? Money reflects our priorities and all those things. And, and what we do with our money says a lot about the condition of our heart. And during the holidays, it's like it's amplified. It really, really is. You know, I said last week, um, I survived this, uh, this off-the-grid Alaskan wilderness rafting trip. It was crazy. No service, no signal, couldn't get anywhere, bears everywhere. Uh, I mean, we had to bring a bear dog with us. That's a thing in Alaska. A bear dog is a dog that lets you know there's a bear nearby. It was a huge golden doodle, very old, slept the whole time, but good dog. And, um, uh, we had big guns and uh, like big assault rifles, a lot of fun, and we shot them. And uh, so it was a good time. I didn't get to see a bear, but do the dog, uh, Doodles was her name, um, Doodles did chase a few bears off, but we didn't get to see him. But it was good. But the first thing we did is we always... Uh, secured shelter first. That's what we did. We put up our tents and we found a good place to do. We had to cut down trees most of the time to get everything in place. It was very primitive. And then the next thing we did is we all ate 
it's the next thing that we did. And we brought our food in. Uh, we had a huge ice chest and uh, it did not, the ice did not last all of the days. We ran out of water on day two. And so we had to filter water. It was very intense. I mean, it was like you didn't have any downtime. We were going to survive. That was the whole point. It was a lot of fun. But one of the things I, you know, we all have to eat, right? Come on, somebody. We all have to eat. Don't look at anybody. Don't make eye contact because some of us, it's a sport. But, you know, we learned in school that God made us either hunters or gatherers. And some people are both, but primarily you'll know the hunter, the great hunter who brings home the bacon, literally. And then, and then you have the, the gatherer, the farmer, the cultivator. I believe that God's called us to be both. But what he has not made us to be is a scavenger. You're not going to go to your local H-E-B and find roadkill. You're not going to find it. We are not meant to eat dead, rotten things. In fact, God told his people in the Old Testament, he says, if something dies, if you find something dead, don't touch it. Don't even touch it because of the disease and all those things. And there's plenty of scavengers that God has made, buzzards and, and insects and things like that that break down dead things. But God has not called you to consume dead things. He hasn't. He hasn't called me to consume dead things. And, and here's the thing, allowing greed and materialism to take root in our hearts, whenever we do that, we become spiritual scavengers. We begin consuming dead things. Even whenever it's good things, the way we consume them causes us to become a spiritual scavenger. You know, we, we start embracing this, this lifestyle that's not life-giving. We're, we're never grateful. We're never satisfied. And if we begin eating dead things, we become spiritual scavengers and we'll never be healthy. We'll never be strong. We'll never be who God called us to be if we don't have the right intake. Any athlete, anybody training, trying to accomplish something great, they watch what they intake, don't they? Very, very strict. It's one of the reasons why I'm putting off that marathon. Um, People ask me all the time when I'm going to run that thing. And uh, it's not going to happen yet, guys. Um, but whenever we embrace greed and materialism, and just hang with me, whenever we do that, whenever we embrace it, we actually put ourselves in danger. Look at 1 Timothy 6.10. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you heard that money is the root of all evil. That's actually not true. It's a truism, it's almost true. But look at what God's word says, that the love of money is a root, just one, of all kinds of evil, not every evil. You gotta, we have to put money in its place and it's through this craving for more, more, more. Whenever we become scavengers, consuming whatever's in front of us, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves through with many pangs, many sorrows. See, our culture is charged with greed and materialism, isn't it? It's charged with that. You turn on the TV, all the uh, advertisements, everything. It's always new, better, more. You deserve it. We're surrounded by this. Proverbs 119 says, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Do you know that the things that you possess could eventually possess you? That the things that you own can eventually own you? It's very very serious. And whenever we begin to embrace this lifestyle, or if you're like me, I have greed and materialism in my heart. If I don't find a way to stop that, if I don't find a way to keep myself in check, to set up some kind of accountability, I will slide off the deep end real quick and begin obsessing 
over the newest, the latest, the greatest. That's, and for me, a lot of times it's musical equipment. That's just my, it's like my kryptonite. I just, you know, I have to just, whenever I get the music catalog, I just toss it in the garbage because I'm not gonna buy anything. Why sit there and just lust after? Why, oh my gosh, what about this? What about that? I mean, how much could I, how could I pay for this? And why, at the end of the day, why? Don't I have enough? There's, it's never enough, isn't it? And so I don't want those things to take away my life. It takes away the life of its possessor. Now, hear me clearly. The holiday season doesn't cause greed or materialism. It reveals it. I'm gonna say that again. The holiday season does not cause greed or materialism. If we didn't have Christmas and Thanksgiving and any other holiday that you may celebrate during this time of the year, if we didn't have those, don't you know that greed and materialism would still be in our hearts, wouldn't it? Yeah, of course it would. But during this season, marketing ramps up and it begins to reveal it. And God didn't create us to be spiritual scavengers. And whenever greed or materialism grips our heart, we get sick. We, we're no longer, we don't have this life-giving uh, attitude. This, we don't have all of this good input. You know, the Bible says that God gave us freely all things to enjoy. But it's about how we acquire them, how we enjoy them. So let's look, let's talk about how to avoid being a scavenger during the holidays. Because listen, there's dead things all around you. There's, there's greed and there's, there's pride and there's all of these things all around us every day in America. I mean, we're only 4% of the world's population, but we're in the top 3% wealthiest. Our homeless are in the top 3% richest people in the world. They have access to full healthcare. It's amazing. We live in such a unique place and yet we think that we struggle. And I think that I struggle. It's amazing, isn't it? But if you're well-traveled and if you get around, and many of you are, you realize I, we, I, we're looking at it all wrong. We're comparing ourselves among ourselves. So, you know, in Time Magazine, this statistic's a few years old, but Time Magazine said that Americans spend $1,300 for every $1,000 that they make. Do the math there. That we're losing, on average, $300 for every 1000 that we make and the bleeding doesn't stop. That's why the average American has anywhere from five to $8,000 in credit card debt. They're upside down on their cars and they're paying too much for a house. We just, we get in this lifestyle that chokes the life out of us. Why do we do that? Who, what are we trying to prove? And I think a lot of it, you know, it catches up with us is that here's the thing, enough is never enough. Why is enough never enough? Why is enough never ever enough? Have you ever felt this way? I've felt this way plenty of times. Maybe you have too. Why is enough never enough? There's three misconceptions that we find in our culture. And we'll go through all three of these, but these are the lies that we're told. That having more will make us happy. Having more will make us important. Having more will make us secure. And I, listen, there are times where I believe this. There's times where you believe this. So these aren't oh my gosh, these are heinous lies that no one knows about. No, we all eventually fall into this trap. And I believe that it's amplified during the holidays. So let's, let's talk about the first one. Having more things will make me happy. Come on, everybody say happy. See, the fact is, is that things do bring happiness. That's why this is so easy to believe, so easy to slip into. You, you get that new car, you get that new iPhone, you get that new uh, pet, you get that new house, whatever it is, and it makes you happy, doesn't it? 
I mean, a puppy is so cute. Oh my God. People don't buy dogs. They buy puppies. 100% impulse buy. No one strategically says, I will go and be overwhelmed at the shelter and buy that puppy that I never ever thought I wanted. And, uh, but we all, we fall into this thing, this trap. And it's so easy because things do make us happy. You ladies, you get that new outfit. You love that new outfit until you see someone else with a different outfit. Or, you know, I mean, it's guys, we go and we spend money on big toys and all this stuff and, and then something else comes out. And the problem is, is that it does make us happy. For a little while, it's temporary. Have you ever heard the saying, the shine wears off? It's so true. People buy brand new cars and then they don't wanna drive them. And I understand, because if you put any miles on it, it'll depreciate so fast, faster than what you're paying for it. And then you'll be upside down. For every mile, it's like throwing money out of the window. It's so difficult to do these things. And so we're happy at first, but then the happiness wanes, doesn't it? The happiness wanes. This is nothing new. Solomon wrote in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon's the wisest man who ever lived. He wrote most of the book of Proverbs, some Psalms in the book of Ecclesiastes. And, and he said this, he who loves money shall never have enough. The foolishness of thinking that wealth brings happiness. The more you have, the more you spend. And it's so true. Do you know that no matter how much money you make on average, every person in every caliber, every stage of life, every one of us on average in America are eight weeks away from bankruptcy. It doesn't matter if you're working part-time at $24,000 a year or if you own your own practice and making $250,000 a year. Statistically, we're all eight weeks away from bankruptcy. If we quit working today and the money dried up, what would happen? So it's not about making more money, is it? Because the more money you make, the more you spend. And again, this is thousands of years old, but it's so true for you and I today. So things do make us happy, but it's only for a moment. Listen, if you like your new iPhone 7, just hold on to it. I like iPhones. That's good. But you know, October's coming around to October 2017. They're going to release a brand new iPhone. And then if you just hang on a little while longer there next year, they're going to release a new one. And it's, it never, I don't know if it'll ever stop. Or maybe it's the new TV and the UHD TV and now the curved and now they, the big and they're cheaper and Black Friday's coming, you guys. Woo! People will wait outside of buildings in the cold for a TV that may not turn on because it's only $49.95. You know what I mean? And so this uh, Black Friday is just amazing just to watch humanity on display. It's like going to the zoo, you know? It's just like, oh my God, people are getting trampled. I'm a big fan of Cyber Monday because no one's gonna fight me over it. You know, you could just handle your business online and that's good stuff stuff right there. But, you know, that's the lie, that things will make me happy. And they do, but it's just for a fleeting moment. Second misconception is that having more will make me important. Having more will make me important. We've all thought this before, that I am what I own. My valuables determine my value. That if I have a little, then maybe I'm just worth a little. That if I can get the newest, the better. If I can get a better car, maybe I can get a better job, a better life. If I could just marry right and marry wealthy or, or whatever it is or popular, maybe my life will begin to change. We, I am what I own, that maybe things will make me important. But Jesus, he warned us. He said, take care, be on your guard. Be on your guard against all covetousness. That's greed and selfishness, wanting what others have for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
That's not my life does not consist in the amount of stuff that I have. I have to remind myself of this. You have to remind yourself of this. My life does not consist in getting more and more and more. And this is tough. And if you're a collector of any kind, this is tough for you. You're going to struggle with this. It's not about how much you have. It's not about those things. Having more will make me important. Having things will make me happier. And it's true. We buy things that we don't need with money that we don't have to impress people we don't even like. How many of you have friends who went and bought the bigger car for what? I have a friend who went and bought this huge truck and he did his exhaust. He spent a lot of money on his exhaust. Do you know why? So that he could sit at red lights and he hit this switch where it bypassed his uh, muffler and he'd hit the gas and it was deafening. I mean, it was beautiful, but it was just deafening. It's like, man, that was, I mean, you hit a few, few grand on that install. He says, yeah, yeah, I got it done right. Yeah. And all you do is sit at red lights and rev the engine? Yeah. I mean, that's all it does? Yeah. Okay, cool, man. Good talk. I, I can't go there with you. You know, I, I, there's just some things, you know, there's other things that, you know, I'll fall for just like everyone else will. We all have kind of that thing that grips our heart, don't we? whether it's clothes or vehicles or electronics, valuables, all these things. Having more will make me important. But see, we cannot confuse our net worth with our self-worth. You cannot do it. Third lie, having more will make me secure. But the truth is, the more you have, the more insecure you actually become because the more you have to lose. The harder you have to work to maintain it and the more insurance you have to buy to insure it. You know, my mom ran a restaurant for a little while and they wanted to expand and the math was really weird. There was a breakover point. And I don't understand everything about it. But they couldn't just expand however they wanted. They, have to, they had to expand no more than a certain amount because the overhead would have eaten their profit and they would have made less money. More is not always better. More is not always better. But we believe the lie that having more stuff, having more will make us happy. And it does for a little while, but it wears off. Having more will make us important. But our, our net worth does not determine our self-worth. And the third lies that having more will make me secure. It'll make me secure. But Solomon, he says, a rich man's wealth is his strong city. And like a high wall in his own imagination. Come on, say it's all in your head. It's all in your head. I have enough. I have enough in my 401k and all those things are good. I have enough uh, insurance and I have all these things, so I'm good, I'm set. Boom. The Bible talks about a man who he had a great harvest and he says, oh my gosh, you can't even fit all my stuff in my barn anymore. I'm gonna tear it down, build a bigger barn. Here we go. I'm gonna say to my soul, soul, eat, drink, and be merry for you have many goods and you could last many years. And God calls that man a fool. And in that story, that man died that night. It says, you fool, tonight your soul will be required of you. We don't know the day of our death. And so that pulls everything into perspective. It doesn't matter how much we have. Having more things will not make us secure. It won't do it. It won't prevent that sickness. It won't stop that relationship from breaking down. Having more money, having more stuff will not secure us. This is why I believe Solomon, he says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. There comes a point where we can be satisfied, where we can be content. We must have security in something that cannot be taken away from us. And the only thing that cannot be taken away from us 
is our relationship to God. Even our families can be taken from us in tragedy. But our relationship with God can never be taken from us. Jesus said, all those that my Father have given me are mine and nothing can take them out of my hand. Romans 8 says, what then can separate us from the love of God? And he goes on to list everything he could think of, height, depth, I mean, all of these different things, spiritual things, nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ. Having more will not make us secure. Having the Lord in our life will make us secure. Amen? That's what will make us secure. So those are the three lies lies that we hear. So now we want to talk about what is the truth? What does God's word say? As we go into the holidays, as we're bombarded by greed and materialism and and our own pride and arrogance and selfishness will be on display. It happens to us all. All of these things. And the holidays don't cause it, but it reveals it. So how do we get through this holiday season? How do we get better at this? How do we make some progress in this area? I think there's four things. There's a lot more than that, but I think there's four things that we can look at primarily today that will help us today. These are very practical. I love practical application to God's word today. You can do any one of these things and they will help you today in regards to all these things. These four things, and I'll just read them real quick. We have to resist, rejoice, return, and refocus. Four R's. I know all the teachers out there said amen. And uh, that's good stuff right there. We, we resist comparing ourselves. We re- rejoice in what we have. We return back to God what is his, and we refocus on a good God and his good plan. So let's dive into these. This is how to avoid materialism. How to avoid materialism. How to make it through this holiday season. Is this okay this morning? Yeah, very good. Let's, uh, the first one, resist comparing what I have to what others have. Boy, we fall, this is a slippery slope. It's subconscious, it happens to us all. The apostle Paul, he, he told the Corinthian church, he says, hey, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves. It is not wise. What he was saying was, there's a group of people. It, was, it would be like us here at this one local church and we begin to gauge our godliness based on each other. And so we would look at each other and we compare our lives and, and our sins and our faults and our wins and whatever it looks like. And we say, okay, well, this person's the, this guy, he's got his act together. He's the holiest or she's the holiest. Or I don't know, maybe you think the pastor's the holiest, whatever. And you're, hey, you know, this, whenever it comes to all of us, this guy, he's got his act together. But then you put two churches together and now it's like you got to pit one against the other, the winner from both circles. And so all of the, and then you put whole denominations together. Now, well, who's the best in all that whole denomination? And we do this. We compare ourselves among ourselves. And the apostle Paul saying, you have no wisdom. That's not wise. It's stupid. And this is why, because God made each one of us so unique. And all of us are on a different timeline with the Lord. Some of you are, Some of you have just begun walking with the Lord. Your life looks very different, maybe, from somebody who's been walking with the Lord for 20 years. Some of you, you've been walking with the Lord for 20 years and you've resisted everything that God's tried to do in your heart. You've hardened your heart at every turn and they have people who've been walking with the Lord for three, four months who have more joy than you. See, we're all so unique in where we're at. So we can't afford to begin to compare ourselves. That's the spiritual example. Now let's talk about money and all those things. We all have different educations. We all have different backgrounds. We all come from different family dynamics. 
Some of our families, uh, what was celebrated was connection and relationships. Some of our families, what was celebrated was accomplishment. And it kind of reflects on how we view our world, the lens that we see through. And so in this room today, we have people in construction, we have doctors, we have lawyers, we have underwriters, we, we have all these different people, people in real estate, we have musicians, all the whole different gamut, teachers, everyone. People that work and, uh, you know, for different companies and whatever it may be. Do you know that that does not define you? We can't afford to compare ourselves with other people. So what if somebody has a better job than you? So what if somebody, uh, maybe they're doing less than you, but they feel like they're making a difference in the world and what they're doing? I mean, it's amazing. It really isn't about what our jobs bring in, is it? It's about what we're able to give to our community, to society, to the world. It's what we're able to do for the Lord within whatever context that we're in. And trust me, no matter what field you're in or what occupation you have, you can do something for the Lord. You can shine the light of the gospel wherever you're at. In my job, I, work, I don't work for the church. I work outside of the church. And I do my best every time that I can. I don't lead with, hey, I'm a pastor. You should come to church with me on Sunday. Normally people shut down. That's been my experience. But if I just, I'm, I'm a Christian first. And if somebody says, hey, you know, so in fact, a guy asked me, he says, man, you're different from everyone else on this team. What is it? I don't know. I just, I just try to live what I believe. What does that mean? Here we go. Let me tell you what I believe. You don't hammer them with it, but you just, I have, Jesus changed my life, man. I mean, it's, let me tell you my story. And that, I mean, whenever the conversation goes there, you're able to go there. And I know everybody has a different job and that looks different in each context, but here's the big deal is that we can't afford to compare ourselves with each other because we don't know the situation that other people are in. They may be driving that big car, but they may be $10,000 upside down on it. And they may just beg God for deliverance every time they get in it, and you want it. They may give it to you. I don't know. Take over the note. They may give it to you. Go ask them. You don't know where someone else is financially. Don't. I mean, it's amazing. It's just amazing. It's amazing. You know, the Apostle Paul told Timothy, he says, when we long to be rich, we fall prey to temptation. We get trapped into all sorts of foolish and dangerous ambitions, which eventually plunge us into ruin. And I know what you're saying. No, not me. Not me. I could handle it, can't I? And it's not to say that money is bad. Money is not bad. Remember what we said earlier. Money is not, the love of money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is a root for all kinds of evil. And it's not about money. Money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. That's how God made money to be. It's either good, uh, it's either good or bad. It's how, we, it's how we make money, and it's how we spend it, and it's what you do with it. That's how, that's what makes money one thing. Or the other. I'm sorry, my phone's sitting there ringing, and y'all could probably hear it buzzing. It's distracting me so bad. And um, this is what, uh, this is what I believe the Apostle Paul is saying. It's not about how much you make, it's about how you make that money. Did you do it right? Did you do it with integrity? Did you make fast money? Did you rob somebody? How did it work? How did you get your money? What are you doing with it? See, money is neutral. It's neither good nor bad. It's all about how we use it. So we have to stop comparing ourselves with others. The second one, we have to rejoice in what we do have. We have to rejoice in what we do have. It's like my grandma used to say, count your blessings. 
count your blessings. God, I wish we would do this more often. I have to stop and I have to remind myself. I mean, we all do, don't we? Lord, you were doing good things in my life. And I got focused on this relationship or on on this thing or this thing broke or, you know, the tire blew out again or whatever it is. We get so worked up to stop. Lord, what are you doing in my life? We have to rejoice in what we do have. And here's the hard part is that contentment is not a natural trait for many. Some kids are just born content. They don't need nothing. But for most of us, we have to learn it, don't we? We have to learn it. Again, Solomon, he says, it's better to be satisfied with what you have than to be always wanting something else because it never, ever ends. And the Apostle Paul says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. G.K. Chesterton, he says, this is an old preacher, he's deceased now, he says, there are two ways to have enough. One is to get more. Second is to desire less. (laughs) And whenever we desire less, We can be content without always having to get more. You can finally get out of the rat race. And my friend, it is exhausting in that race for more, 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 more. For us to rejoice in what we do have, we must view money properly. Remember earlier we said the money is neutral. It's either good or it's neither good nor bad. It's about how we use it. Money is also a tool. Money is to be used, not loved. Money is to be used, not love. Hear me carefully on this. Whenever we love money, we will use people. And maybe you've worked for that company before. Whenever we love people, we will find ways to use money. Whenever we love money, we will use people to give more money. And whenever we love people, we will use money to show that love to people. This works for, as a church, as an organization here, how we view finances. It works for you on a personal level. How do you view the money that God's given you to steward? Do you love money and use people, or do you love people and love the Lord and use your money for those purposes? Very, very important. Third, we need to return 10% back to God. This is called tithing. If you're new to church or new to Christianity, this is not like a membership fee that people pay. It's not like your dues, you know, like at the country club. We don't come around like for your yearly or anything like that. This is a free expression of worship from every person. Um, You know, I believe in tithing. My wife and I have tithed all of our lives ever since I was 15 and got a job. Even before that, when I got an allowance, I'd always tithe. I'd always give God the first 10% back to him. And this tithing, is a discipleship issue. And there's some people that harden their heart and they say, no, 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 no. That church just wants money or that pastor just wants money or whatever it is. Listen, God doesn't need your money. This is about you. Giving is about me. It is about you and it's about worship. It's about worship and the fear of the Lord. Look what Deuteronomy 14, 23 says. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. I can't say it any better than that. And as God works in our hearts, And as he begins to break down the walls of greed and selfishness, it becomes a joy to give back to God. And notice tithing, he says, first fruits, not just 10%. 
He makes a distinction of when. My wife and I, we get paid on Fridays. Both of our jobs, direct deposit. Maybe your job's like that too. And it seems like we get paid almost every other Friday respectively. So like every week, there's a check hitting the account. And the way we have our stuff set up personally is I get a mobile alert anytime that something hits the account up to a certain amount. A lot of people do that. And so Fridays at about nine o'clock in the morning, I get a text message, hey, uh, the account got hit. Uh, there's a direct deposit of this much. The first thing I do and I love it. I love those. I get excited. I go to the Metro Church app. I open it up. I hit give. And right there, I give. I pay my tithe right there on the spot. I don't wait till Sunday. I want to do it first because I know how we are as a couple. I know, I know our strengths and our weaknesses. We have to put God first. We have to save first. Because if we don't, we get to the end of the month and try to give God our leftovers or, or we have more month than money at the end of the month. Have you ever been there before? And it's amazing. God's plan. Whenever we put God first, it makes us think about what we're doing. And if, and if you need help with all of that stuff, we could point you to resources with Dave Ramsey, creating a plan financially. Uh, we just finished a community group, Financial Peace University. I'm sure we'll do it again here in the new year, but it's, those things are so valuable. And whenever we begin to put God first, and whenever we begin to save, uh, you, know, the, you know, not the Bible says, but uh, I mean, just good financial wisdom is to pay yourself first. Because if you wait to the end, there won't be enough left. So we set aside what is God's. We set aside uh, a, a portion for savings, uh, whatever that may look like for you and your family. And then we make the rest of the budget work however we need to to make that, that money last as long as it does. But whenever we put God first, it is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. See, and materialism will creep up into our lives in different ways. And one of the ways is this neglect of saving and of giving back to the Lord. It's this neglect of that. You know, people, I've heard many people say, well, Stephen, I just can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to save, much less tithe. But I think the real, remember, giving is a discipleship issue. I believe that. Giving is a discipleship issue. It's worship to the Lord. The real question is not whether or not you need to make more money. The real question is, what are you willing to do? What changes are you willing to endure to move your financial life to a different position? What are you willing to do without? What are you willing to do without in order to obey God? That's the real question. It's a tough question for all of us. And over the years, we've had to look at our budget and say, well, no, we can't fit that in. But many of us, that's, that's for us, that's just not even an option. We never ever say no to ourselves. That's one of the ways that materialism creeps in. You may not have a lot of stuff, but you have a lot of monthly subscriptions to things and you know, all these different things. And so that's, but that's for each one of us to deal with on a personal level. Again, that's a discipleship issue. But I will tell you this, that every time you give to the Lord, every time you write out a check, every time you're generous, every time you offer that worship to the Lord and you put him first, you are winning a spiritual battle against greed and materialism. And I believe that's one of the reasons why God commanded us to give to him first is because it reminds us that all that I have is a gift from God. All that I have is a gift and this is my worship to him. He supplies all of my need. The Bible says that he will bless us. I believe that. So we need to return 10% back to God and maybe you're not ready to start at 10%. I encourage you to start somewhere. Find a percentage where you can start. And let me tell you, God will bless you. I know that. I know that he will. And lastly, we need to refocus on God and his good plan. 
refocus on God and his good plan. We're going to resist comparing ourselves, rejoice in what we have, return 10% back to God, and refocus on God and his good plan. Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on things above, not on, things, not on earthly things. Don't get so caught up in the latest, the greatest, the newest. Well, I have to buy this present for my nieces and nephews and I have to spend this much money because, man, my, my sister's gonna be there and they're balling and they're rolling in the dough and they're, uh, man, they're gonna bring like, you know, the new PlayStation for everyone. I don't know. And so I gotta, I, I gotta, man, there's all this pressure. The pressure's gone. Listen, you don't have to do all that. You don't have to do all that. Show generosity from your heart during this holiday season. And whenever we turn on the TV and everything is telling us that we need this and that and this and that, no, 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 no. What I need, well, I find my security in the Lord. I find my happiness in Jesus. More things won't make me more important. I need to resist comparing myself to others. I need to return 10% back to God. I need to rejoice in what I do have. I need to count my blessing. And I need to refocus, refocus, bring it back. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And we have to look at life from God's viewpoint. Everything that you have is temporary. You only own it for a little while. You can't take it with you. It was somebody else's before it was yours. And after you're gone, it'll belong to someone else. That dollar bill has been through thousands of hands, which is kind of gross. Everything that we have, we've been given by the Lord to steward it for a time. Even your family all of our relationships, all of this, this life is temporary. David, King David, who killed Goliath and went on to raise a mighty nation out of the nation of Israel, said life is but, it's like a breath. Like you go outside on a cold day, which are rare here in San Antonio, but you know, you go outside and you can see your breath and, and that vapor is just for a moment. And the light of eternity, that's how our lives look. It's just a moment. It's just a, it's gone. So what do we do today? What do we do during this holiday season? How do we live for God's glory in difficult times? May God help us to put aside this desire to consume the dead things around us. That we would not be spiritual scavengers, but that we would embrace the good things that God has all around us. God has given us freely all things to enjoy, if we will receive them with thankful hearts, if we hold things with open hands, freely we receive, freely we can give. How can we show generosity this holiday season? And maybe for you, you can't afford to do that financially, but you have time and you have things around you, ways that you can help other people. How can you be generous? Because Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. How can we as a church be more generous here at the end of the year than we were at the beginning? How can we do more for our community? What can we do to live the generous life, the free life that God has called us to live? Because it is good. The Apostle Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Not more, but to put Jesus first in all these things. Let's pray because that's a difficult thing to do on our own. We need the grace of God, amen? Father, we pray this morning. God, we pray for the grace to be generous, 
to, Lord, help us. God, rescue us. Lord, there's so many of us here. And Lord, we want to be free from the grip of greed and materialism and selfishness and self-serving. God, we want to be free. Lord, we want to give to you. We want to be generous to others. But Lord, our life is in such financial disarray. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling to make ends meet. God, show them how they could put you first, how they could be generous right where they're at. And Lord, I pray that you bless them, that you give them wisdom and opportunity. God, that you would bless them in a powerful way. Show yourself real to them. And Lord, for those who are generous, God, I thank you for them. Lord, there's so many here that give regularly to you. Lord, for them, it's worship. For them, it's an expression of their heart and their love. For you, God, I pray that you continue to bless them. Open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on them today. Or we know that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And Lord, I pray that you continue to bless Metro Church. God, that you would bless us to be a blessing. God, that we could be a blessing for those who come, who worship with us on Sunday. God, we could be a blessing to our immediate community. God, to our entire city. God, that we could be a blessing all over the world. God, that we could help children who need the basic essentials. God, help us to remember during this holiday season. Lord, it's not about all the things that we can get. It's not about all the pressure around us. Lord, it's about you and your good plan for our life. Lord, we refocus today. We refocus today. Our life does not consist in the abundance of things we possess. Our life is hidden, Christ. Oh, we thank you for that. We thank you for that life that we have today. 